0: Welcome to Fudson Film. I'm Drew. With me tonight, Scott. Hello! And let's just begin with the words of Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong, as interpreted by Edwin Starr and Jackie Chan. War. Huh. Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. War. Huh. Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Except death and disease and famine and destroyed families. War's pretty good for those. <laughs> War. Whoa, Lord. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Listen to me. It ain't nothing but a hard Friend only to the undertaker. And arms manufacturers. And defence contractors. <laughs> and in the case of the tooth, there was a point. I'm getting it. <laughs> and in the case of the two films we're talking about today, war is also good for covering attempts at pulling off bullion heists. <laughs> so, you know, swings and roundabouts. So, tonight, in our comparing a tryst episode, we're going to look at 1970s Kelly's Heroes, in which some soldiers use the cover of war to steal some gold, which is not theirs. That probably kind of is obvious from the soul stealing part, yes. I'm not sure why I. Uh, why I had that qualifier there. And 1999's Three Kings where some soldiers tried to steal some gold. Also not theirs, so let's just keep that balanced. <laughs> so first film is, as I say, Kelly's Heroes, which Scott is going to tell you all about.
1: Yeah, and when this idea was first pitched, I thought, obviously, I've seen Kelly's Heroes. Everyone's seen Kelly's Heroes. Turns out I hadn't seen Kelly's Heroes, so you get to discover this along with me. I must be <laughs> thinking of The Dirty Dozen, although I'm sure at some point we'll get to that and discover I've not seen that either. I uh, must do better. Um, anyway, this outing reunites director Brian G. Hutton, the original G, with Clint Eastwood after Where Are Eagles There, which I probably confused with Escape to Victory or something. Uh, <laughs> Set during the back nine of World War II, the US Army pushes across occupied France with Nazis putting up stiff resistance. Eastwood's Private Kelly is part of a unit on the front lines who captures a Nazi officer and, during interrogation, discovers that a small town bank, not overwhelmingly guarded, not all that far from the location, is stuffed to the gunnels with gold. Nazi gold! The best kind of gold. Already disillusioned with the army, after having been scapegoated and demoted for other officers' failures, and seeing his current captain more concerned with looting a boat than the welfare of his men – although he does make sure to warn them not to loot, which is nice of him – Kelly decides to set about nicking the shiny stuff – as part of his plan, he'll need to convince his platoon, de facto led by the gruff but defendable Master Sergeant Big Joe, Telly who needs a fair bit of arm-twisting, and a number of dodgier characters who don't, like Don Rickles' Staff Sergeant Crap Game, the fixer for the team, or the, well, I'm not quite sure what they were going for, the Donald Sutherland's Sergeant Oddball, Teppy Warmonger. Anyway, he has a tank, so let's overlook his Oddball character traits. Teppie hey. Pervert Warmonger. <laughs> Now I understand why his nickname was Oddball. How about them Cowboys? Having assembled a team that may or may not have numbered one dozen, cleanly the status unconfirmed, they push into enemy territory, variously sneaking in fighting their way past the Nazis at cost, eventually chased by gung-ho Major General Colt Carol O'Connor, who has misinterpreted their actions as a great patriotic push worthy of acclaim and the backing of the full division in an otherwise stalled advance. Now, it's been a while since I watched a war film of the era, and it's always a little shocking going back to the rather less dark and gritty aesthetic and narratives that pervaded back then. <laughs> uh, there's the glimmers of something with the but, but, a bit more bites to it here. The title is ironic given most of the characters' attitudes in the reigns and nothing is ultimately portrayed as a walk in the park despite skewing more towards comedy or at least entertainment. But it's still the sort of film where walking on a landmine is not going to involve the special effects department giving you much more than some smoke and a boy that can jump a bit further than most. It's still of the time when we all agreed that Nazis were bad and there was not very good people on both sides. Ironically, at this point in the war, that's probably a much truer statement than at Charlottesville, and it's telling that the Germans here aren't, well, the ones that aren't playing cannon fodder at least, are perfectly reasonable and not throffing madmen. As mentioned, turns out we only saw this yesterday, so this is all a bit fresh, and I'm not 100% sure how I'll feel from, about it a year from now, or if I'll feel compelled to revisit it. What I can say is that with the weight of history would seem to indicate that it's good, and I enjoyed my time with it. It's a, a rare near two and a half hours film that doesn't feel like it should have had great swaths cut from it, and Eastwood and Spallus make a great pairing was and Sutherland less so, skewing a bit too far into goofy territory, particularly Sutherland but, well, that's not his fault as much as the script's. So, yes, it's an entertaining haste romp and it's rather more jaundiced view of war while by no means unique at the time, this was also the year of Catch-22 and MASH uh, but also by no means the most common wartime narrative keeps it within touching distance of contemporaneity. Um, it didn't rock my world, perhaps but it did make for a very diverting distraction from it for a couple of hours.
0: Uh, I find that Quite interesting uh, how you found this film to be. It's not often that we diverge hugely in our opinions of things, Scott. Mm. This appears to be one case where we do. What is interesting though is that your impression of the film is how I remember 15 or 20 years ago, Drew, remembering Mm. liking this film. um, That's how I remembered it. I remembered Liking it, I remember thinking it was funny, entertaining. I had good memories of this film, and I went back to this, and it's probably not inaccurate to say I hated the film, this Time around. All right, but why, Drew? Why? <laughs> well, I'll get to that. Um, first of all, you make the point about the the name Kelly's Heroes, which I thought is it's an ironic title at best. Mm-hmm. These yeah. people are not heroes, but I think it's quite amusing. The title in Spain, uh, I'm not sure how many other countries had a similar translation, but the title of this in Spain was Kelly's Violent Ones, which is Mm -hmm. a much more apt title. Um, Very literal, of course, but very um, much more apt. I just found this an absolute chore. I was really, I was beginning to count the minutes this film was really wearing when I watched this time. Right. 44 minutes until they even make the decision about whether they're going to steal the gold or not. Yeah, And uh, everything kind of... I know it's meant to be funny, but I didn't find it funny at any point. And I think a lot of this comes back to just how the film begins. These aren't good people. And it bothered me. Um, I don't remember even thinking about it before, but it bothers me this time. You've got uh, Kelly, who's perhaps the least objectionable, but he's just still, he's going to use wartime as a cover for stealing some stuff. Even if it is from the Germans, it's still, it's not okay, oh. given the things they do to get in the people's lives they put in danger, but they are, they are thieves and looters and cowards. And from a bit of dialogue, wannabe rapists, because there's something that I think Terry Savalas either says directly to them or kind of um, infers is that they would be going into town to rape women there's a a repeated line about them looking for prostitutes or just like local women to sleep with Hmm. but there's a definite bit about rape yeah okay I'm hoping all of these people die now so that certainly set me off then you have just it's the strangest casting I know Don Rickles' character is supposed to be sort of comedy character I just found him a mealy-mouthed get. I mean, it's really kind of... It's rocked me the wrong way the whole way.
1: Yeah, yeah, for someone that's supposed to be delivering the laughs, he definitely didn't. I don't think I've seen Don Rickles in anything before that he's made any impact on me. But, yeah, for the, the supposed comic relief characters, like, yeah, you're not actually very funny. I don't know what the deal is with that. No, oh,
0: um, Then there's... Donald Sutherland, who has been not just dropped in from a different film, dropped in from a different war.
1: <laughs> dropped on his
0: because, head, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he, um, let's set aside the the disturbingly young woman he's seen lying with at the beginning, even if you could just sort of set that aside and not think about <laughs> that. He's just such a strange character who's somehow a 1944 hippie.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> He's clearly been dropped in from the Vietnam War, yeah. which is what was on when this film was made. Um it's clearly a Vietnam War film set in World War Two, which is a strange <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. But he's also, as well as being a hippie, he also at some point suddenly becomes Yiddish. Like it's only like for one line, but the way there's a a moment when he has to call in some more tanks and things, um, and he's saying, he talks about, 60 feet of bridge I can pick up anywhere. And the way he says it, it's so kind of New York Yiddish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, whoop! What are you doing, Sutherland? What's going on with you in this film? And then we have the there are bits where when your man, Harry Dean Stanton, mm. who was apparently born looking 85 yes. and never ages <laughs> beyond that for the rest of his life, he dies, isn't he? He's in that scene in the main, main field when they died. So some of the crew eventually die mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be their friends and colleagues in the army. And it's like, Ah, oh, they're dead. We are so sad. Oh, sixty seconds. That's enough mourning. Back to stealing yeah. now.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> and the film's full of that kind of weird tonal shift of like. Yeah, um, and it's. I could not set that aside, and, and I must have either not thought about it the last time I saw this, or was able to set it aside and somehow enjoy the rest of it. But this time, I'm thinking. Th- they are endangering people. They're going against orders. They are killing dozens and dozens of just regular German soldiers, not in the, in the name of an advance, not in the name of persecuting the actual war and doing their duty, but to steal stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the one person, the one German they don't immediately kill, the one German that they do a deal with is the one SS member they meet. Yeah. You know, so the SS are the ones that are unequivocally bad. The rest of people could just be conscripts of people who believe they're fighting for their country. The SS are the genuine villains, <laughs> and that's the one they do the deal with. So I, yeah, the, this film, I, I did not like this film at all this time around. Up, it made me angry for all of these reasons, and there's even other ones too. Like there's the slightly camp guy that's in the in Oddballs Tank Platoon, the one that uh, he keeps yeah. telling not to have such bad waves. Mm-hmm. and he's he's certainly camp and the first time you see him speak like that you just see this look in Clint Eastwood's face it's clearly <laughs> like I don't like this gay man they take him away from it. So, um although to be honest Clint Eastwood's face kind of displays distaste for everybody in the film <laughs> he's yeah. not got the biggest range um of facial expressions all Clint but <laughs> <laughs> so it's possible I'm reading a bit too much into that but didn't feel like it yeah, I had I, I genuinely been looking forward to watching this again because I had remembered thinking this was just a great, fun caper film. And this time, no, not at all, unfortunately. It's also, I don't think I've ever seen a war film with as many explosions as this. Um, and there, there are huge, like, 10-minute long sequences where stuff's exploding left and right, except all the explosions are rubbish. They're all very clearly, like, gasoline explosions all of which are just balls of flame that go straight up in the air and i'm like yeah i've seen so many well-crafted war films too but things look like they're exploding or they look like they're impacts and it's like you spent 10 minutes just like exploding lots of petrol barrels and all of it just goes up and they look like petrol barrels exploding they don't look like impacts from shells or anything and yeah uh, i am very disappointed to find that i found not a single thing of merit in this film this time around um, and it's, it's so unusual that we diverge so much, in our opinions. Strange.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'd pick up a guy. So, I've picked on parts of that. I mean, certainly tonally it is all over the shop. I didn't notice that when I was watching it, but I, just, I guess I just wasn't invested enough for it to make much of a difference one way or the other. Definitely those, those scenes when the guy's in the minefield and <laughs> they do the little... they're very short morning session, which I thought was going to be... I thought was going to lead into something a bit more emotional or re- emotionally relevant at that point and it doesn't really deal with any of that at all um, I thought that was the point that po- certainly if you were making this kind of film these days that would be the point of where everything starts going wrong and they don't get the gold in the end Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I figured that was the way that arc was going but no <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not how it goes uh, they, they make it good to their escape with the gold
0: I think that had they just played that completely callously yeah. if it was just a case of we want the gold. Oh, they're dead. Oh well, yeah. more gold for me then. Instead of paying the merest lip service <laughs> yes. to the idea that they were actually affected by it.
1: Yeah, that this was actually a troop that knew each other in some way, where you don't really get a lot of the kind of bonding between any of the members of the troop. For the, the most part, they're all they all seem to be just like random people that's in there, which. Yeah, it doesn't really fit with the whole band of brothers kind of thing. Yeah, clearly no interest in trying to argue the other way. You. If anything, you're, you're probably convincing me even more, more than anything else. But yeah, I I, I, I rescind my recommendation of being of being mildly diverting. So just, just don't bother with it.
0: Yeah. I think it would certainly be fair to say that my personal morality very much got in the way of me enjoying this film. Um, mm-hmm. It actually almost got in the way of me enjoying the next film as well Mm -hmm. but because that film takes a different turn I felt differently about it so that's good I guess (laughs) but yeah Uh, yeah yeah. Um, it's not a film to go into with with a lot of high morals because it will not stand up to them (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) speaking of Uh, the next film
0: speaking of the next film yes so having now managed to convince Scott he didn't like Kelly's Heroes after all (laughs) Mm -hmm. now uh This story I'm about to unfold took place back in the early 90s, just about the time of our conflict with Saddam and the Iraqis. I mean, I only mention it because sometimes there's a man. I won't say a hero, because what's a hero? But sometimes there's a man. And I'm talking about Marky Mark here. (laughs) Sometimes there's a man who, well, he's the man for his time and place. He fits right in there. And that's Marky Mark in Kabbalah in Iraq. (laughs) Well, a year after Sam Elliott's stranger told us his early 90s tale, David O. Russell, working a screenplay adapted by himself from a story written in seven days by comedian John Ridley, brought us another tale of 1991 uh, and the end of the Gulf War. The Iraqi military has surrendered, peace accords have been signed, and half a million US troops are stuck in the middle of the desert, bored, fractious, and in the case of some, desperate for action. By which I mean itching to be allowed to kill someone. In the midst of this, we find George Clooney's Major Archie Gates, a special forces soldier killing time avoiding his press escort duties by doing a little pressing of his own. Ice Cube's Chief Elgin, setting his soldiers straight on what are the acceptable and unacceptable ethnic slurs to use for their defeated foes. Spike Jonesy's Conrad Vig, an ill-educated, ignorant, racist redneck desperate to shoot something or someone and Marquis Mark Wahlberg, Sergeant Troy Barlow, a new father and slightly more together, less overt version of Vig. (laughs) In the midst of humiliating surrendering members of the Iraqi Republican Guard, Barlow forces a detainee to strip and finds a map concealed where, until mere moments ago, the sun indeed did not shine. Conrad and his associates, soon joined by Major Gates, determine that the map shows the location of a bunker in which is hidden hundreds of million dollars of Kuwaiti gold, stolen by the Iraqi army. And so they set about finding the gold to return it to its rightful owner. Ha! As if there's gold in them, there bunkers, and these boys are going to take it. Reaching the bunker takes little effort. The Iraqi soldiers are only interested in putting down the brewing uprising. You know, the one George H.W. Bush instigated, if not uh, encouraged, if not instigated, but then absolutely didn't back up. No, that one. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. soldiers are largely left to go about their business unimpeded. Things become complicated, though, when they discover Cliff Curtis's Amir Abdullah being held hostage. Yes, by the way, that's Cliff Curtis, noted Maori. (laughs) all of those brown-skinned people are the same, right? Tensions immediately begin to rise outside of the bunker. And the tragedy that befalls Amir's wife sparks a short gunfight in which the US soldiers are deemed to have broken the ceasefire and are now viable targets for the Iraqis. This gunfight is also the first consequences of an unexpected development in the group of would-be goldjackers. A growing conscience. This rather inconvenient conscience changes the group's plans somewhat. And they use their skills, their relative freedom of movement and some of their gold to help Amir and a group of Iraqi rebels reach the Iranian border and so avoid that whole nasty getting executed or tortured by Saddam Hussein's forces things that otherwise looms large in the future. Oh, and there's a small matter of not also being court-martialed by their own army. Three Kings is a pretty complex film and certainly not without hypocrisy or at least cognitive dissonance both in its characters and its views. It's dripping with historical irony, doubly so now, post-Iraq war, the aftermath of which has clearly been affected by not dealing with the Ba'athist regime much more legitimately at the first opportunity. Not least the fact that much of the Republican Guard received training from the US during Iraq's war with the neighbouring Iran. And while it's perhaps not even necessary, the film points out the hypocrisy of US intervention in oil-rich Kuwait while ignoring other injustices elsewhere, using Said Tagmills Saeed as the film's voice of conscience, while he's also torturing Sergeant Barlow, this particular scene also demonstrates another of the film's dissonances. Russell takes pains to incriminate the political machine, not the military, and here Barlow is shown to be, at worst, a poor sap who bought his country's propaganda, but wasn't given the insight to see the hypocrisy and the cynicism behind the war, nor ever expected to be capable of it. Yet still, the soldiers, while being shown to be pawns in political machinations, cannon fodder for the military-industrial complex, are often shown to be ignorant, violent and xenophobic, and unworthy of sympathy. That Three Kings can manage all of this, and still contrive to be funny, and make you care about the central characters, well, Conrad Vega aside, is really rather remarkable. Containing shades of MASH, that's the classic television series, not the awful Robert Altman film in which it was based. Westerns. Saving Private Ryan, amongst others. It's a satirical anti-war war movie that evades EC's genre pigeonholing and perhaps only truly fails with a rather insipid sentimental ending. And an amusing connection to our first film, I wonder just how this would have turned out if George Clooney's role had gone as originally intended to Clint Eastwood.
1: <laughs> Surely not, that was, you made that up, I'm pretty sure.
0: I have not, apparently. Uh, it was originally intended to be Clint Eastwood and then they recast it much younger with George Clooney. Uh, <laughs> now, I can see that Clint Eastwood may have pulled off better the the bit that I thought George Clooney failed a bit with, actually, is that the whole cynical, world-weary soldier who's willing to risk his career and his freedom mm-hmm. just to steal some gold. I can kind of see Clint Eastwood pulling that off. George Charles yeah. Clooney not so much, but the the whole post-conscience-kicking-in thing. Yeah, yeah. Which Charles Clooney clearly does so well, which was clearly the part of the role that interested him much more in this film. Yeah. I can't see Clint doing that. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, I liked this quite a lot when I saw it. 20 years ago, so much so that I immediately bought, well, not immediately, but as soon as the DVD was available, I bought that, and I put it on a shelf, and I've not even thought about watching it for <laughs> so long a time that the medium in which I bought it has now become obsolete. Yes,
0: <laughs> that sounds remarkably familiar, Scott. That almost like this is exactly what happened to me. Um, um, I,
1: I I wasn't as impressed with it coming to it this time around, but I still enjoyed it quite a lot. There was something about um, your Ice Cube's performance that just wasn't... Liking this time round, I'm not sure what what that was. And there's a few moments that that date it almost as much as Kelly's heroes did. Uh, there's some really weird shots that David Russell's put in that seemed to be done for a music video he was doing at the side or something. Uh, there's lots of those strange, overly stylistic shots of people doing random nonsense, and it's like, what, what was that for? <laughs> and, yeah,
0: um, and those the sections too of the the internal injuries really stood out. Yeah. Uh, that felt like a very 1990s, early 2000s thing.
1: It felt a bit like <laughs> I've seen some Fincher movies, so I'm going to steal that for a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's had a strange career, David O'Russell, um, going from stuff like this and like small indie comedies to like American Hustle and Silver Lining Playbook and like, some more Oscar-baity type things. Um, but fair play to him, he seems to mostly pull it off. Um, this... It's a it's a very it's a pretty interesting script to say it's a lot more morally grey and complex and uh, all that sort of turn of the millennium dark and gritty uh, tones going for it and that all works pretty well uh, the central Story's yeah pretty good and most of the action scenes that are going through it as well are actually pretty competently handled as well which you may not have been expecting for something that's uh, pitched quite this way yeah. I don't. I don't. I couldn't really bring myself to have all that much to comment on it again when I watched through, watched through it again a couple of weeks back. It's like, yeah, this is this is fine. I enjoy this well enough, but it feels a bit dated in the way that it looks. Uh, but that's certainly not enough to really spoil your enjoyment of it too much. And if you've not seen it so far, I think it's definitely worth uh, putting on your watch list.
0: Yeah, and I really was very similar to you. I, I remembered enjoying it thoroughly mm-hmm. when uh, I watched it the first time bought the DVD, didn't watch the DVD, actually, Um and then was definitely not as invested in it this time around. Mm. Um, and so the middle section of the film, I was really finding my attention wavering. Yeah. When it gets to the end or towards the end, and it's, you know, it's very much gone the opposite way of Kelly's Heroes when they're thinking, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're, we've got consciousness now, maybe we're going to try and do a bit of good instead, and it really picked up for me. Mm-hmm. But that said, while I was watching Kelly's Heroes, I was making lots of notes. While I was watching Three Kings, I made none. Yeah. <laughs> um. So while watching I think I probably felt quite like you. Then when I sat down to actually prepare the notes for this podcast, all of this stuff just flowed out. Oh, yeah. uh, apparently I had stronger feelings about it than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I, I enjoyed it a great deal more after having watched it again, but not while watching it, which makes no sense, but there we go. <laughs> Yeah, certainly, it's an awful lot better film than Kelly's Heroes is.
1: Yes, on that I agree.
0: Because the and like the idea for putting these together is obviously like the basic sketch is very similar. It's, like, it's a gold heist too. It's like you go and bind enemy lines. Yeah. to steal stuff. They're they're going a Wall. This is the one that's definitely funnier, and it's, even though Kelly's Heroes has an actual or so-called comedian in it, yeah, <laughs> which is a, a strange one. Yeah. The only real issue I had with Three Kings this time around is I had remembered the satire being a bit more obvious, and I, there was too much kind of hypocrisy in how it was portraying soldiers, and then still trying to alleviate them of blame. Yeah, and this for that to work for me this time around quite so much. And I also I remember finding Spike Jonze's character funnier the first time, whereas this time. I was actually quite happy for him to die. <laughs> now, had he been a real person, though, no, I also wouldn't have been. As a character in a film, like, yeah, there's this racist redneck guy who just wants to kill people like without some, even wanting to give these Iraqis the dignity of considering them as fellow human beings. Yeah. Die now, please. So when he did, I'm quite happy. So <laughs> uh, again, that's, that's my own personal morality coming into this um, my own personal morality, which was people to die. I'll have to try and square that so i got some point, but um, I do this, this stands out quite well, but it does. It, as you see, Scott, it does have those kind of weirdly aged por- parts with the, the strange super slow-mo angles and like, I don't know, it's, it's a real kind of mishmash of styles. And I'm not, I don't think it's particularly successful in anything it does with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure what it was they were going for there, but this is a film that came out the same year as Fight Club. It, yeah, yeah, It feels like it's been influenced by Fight Club, as you, you did mention David Fincher earlier. Hmm. Um, except Fight Club, the stylish stuff in Fight Club works. Yeah. It, it's more cohesive, and <laughs> yeah. this is it's kind of a mishmash.
1: Yeah, it, it felt a bit like an experiment from another film, and I'm not quite sure why <laughs> it's in there. I don't know why it quite survived the edit, but they're flashy enough and like, impressive enough sequences in their own right, but just not as part of this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... There is a bit
0: to it. I mean, I suspect it's not deliberate because there's a a limited number of ways these things could work. And the thing I'm about to reference was just actually using gas masks. But I couldn't help but be forced to think of Star Wars when the rebels appear with those masks on in the middle of the the tear gas bombardment. Mm. (laughs) They look like sand people from um, Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, The only thing I'll say is that I thought Ice Cube was fine in this. I I honestly didn't have any particular issue with them. This is probably one of two films where I've thought Ice Cube was actually, at the very least, decent. The other, obviously, Mm. being Boys Nude, which is excellent, but at least it's not Triple X2.
1: But what is, to be fair?
0: (laughs) Triple X3, I'm guessing. Yeah. I have no intention of finding out. (laughs) (laughs) And that was short. Is that us? Apart from Twitter stuff.
1: Yes, uh, some feedbacks on the old Twitters then. At Chopper Fireball, Exploding Helicopter Forecast, of course, playing into their wheelhouse. Uh, Three Kings is one of only two films to feature a helicopter blown up by an exploding American football. What's begs- the other? <laughs> it begs the question, doesn't it? I dread to think what their database is like. <laughs> Ex- exhaustive in the manner of helicopters and explosions thereof. At the Link's defect, I never got to Three Kings... Kelly's Heroes is Many Fun. Drew would take issue with that, I assume. Uh, and uh, Perpetual Dumb Machine, that Blake writes on Twitter, if the host podcast, uh, Three Kings occupies a similar space in my brain as Good Morning Vietnam, the idle lives of occupying American troops, acting with impunity, living alongside locals hurt directly, uh, directly hurt by the neo-colonial crusade, and who strike back briefly. Been some time since he's seen either of them, but doesn't remember feeling much fondness for either film, but then maybe they're due for a rewatch. Well... I guess the consensus would be give three kings another chance and uh, don't bother with don't <laughs> Kelly's, bother heroes. Kelly's
0: heroes. No, oh, yeah. uh, well, that's it from us on this episode then. Indeed. Hopefully, you'll have gotten something out of it. Yeah. How do we finish these things?
1: <laughs> well, if you would like to talk to us for any that's reason it. that's it I knew something I was forgetting <laughs> uh, you can do so through email podcast at fudsonfilm.com or on the twitters at fudsonfilm uh, but yes until next time we shall bid you adieu I've been Scott Boris goodbye Andrew Tamdale you should also say goodbye because that's the thing we do to finish an episode
0: right thank you for keeping me straight <laughs> uh, what's that again ah goodbye that's the one yay I I win <laughs> Bye-bye.